Hello, and welcome to the Magic for Realists podcast. This is the 47th dose, and it's called Bananas. I am a bit nervous about this one. Nervous and excited. My name is Lindsay Celeste, and I'm making this podcast in general because I want to share with you some of the things I've discovered in the real world, as in my physical human existence, that feel kind of magical and special to me. Magical, like uh, poetic and sparkly, and also magic in the sense of being able to consciously alter our reality and experience. I'm fascinated by the intersection between our emotional and spiritual and psychological well-being and our physical, tangible stuff we touch. And so this is about that. And I'm making this particular episode because I want to talk about love and relationships. This has been on my mind for a while to kind of delve a little bit into that land, which honestly is like intertwined with everything. And it's been sort of considering how important let's look at I want to say love and relationships in quote but like my loving relationships and my most intimate partnerships considering how important those have been in my life they've been strangely much less part of this podcast so far and that's partly because they're very personal and I am sensing my way into what I want to share in this format and also because they, by nature of being relationships, involve, uh, involve other people. And so I think I've got enough of a sense now of how I'm going to navigate that, that I can proceed. And also because one of you lovely listeners asked me about this in particular this week, uh, wondering if I could share a bit more of my perspective on love and relationships. And so I really thank you for that question. I love hearing from you guys in particular, like, uh, you know, like an actual interaction between you and me that really brightens my day and, um, really adds, adds sort of like texture and richness to why I do this. And also I've had this poem on my mind for a while to share and it's called Bananas, hence the title of this episode which may get more, you might understand the title more, or the various layers of interpretation uh, as we go through. And this is not the definitive guide to love and relationships. This is only a little taste. And I have a few other topics in mind for podcasts to come. So if you enjoy this one, please stay tuned uh, t- for further ones. Yeah, I, there's just so much I could talk about. <laughs> I feel like now that I've opened this can of, uh, can of worms, yeah, there might be quite a few to come. Uh, yeah, so I was wondering where to start on this topic, and I figured I'd start at the end. And... So this poem is about the end of a relationship, the so far in my life longest one, like 
most time spent together. Uh, let's just give a sh- little short overview of my love and relationships biography <laughs> as far as it relates to romantic partnerships and then see where we go from there. So as I've said before, I'm 33 and I grew up as a conservative Christian, so I wasn't allowed to date in high school and I wasn't supposed to really date anybody that I wasn't seriously considering marrying. So, uh, yeah, my dating, there was no dating in high school. And then when I was in my early 20s, I did a big exodus from that worldview and those groups. And so I decided that I didn't agree with that particular take on sexuality and that I felt sexuality was actually beautiful and didn't need to be saved for only one person, that it was sacred and special and but could also be shared freely, which led me on, yeah, I'd say that having to decide for myself in this sort of, uh, like, significant and undoing a lot of the learning around sexuality really shaped who I am having to or deciding to consciously undo and choose a different way from what I'd been taught I think set me up to question a lot of how we see relationships and my first boyfriend was named David and he was and is wonderful And I am really grateful that our exploration was slow and respectful and the perfect way for me to come out of my Christian upbringing and into the sexy world. And then we were together for about a year. uh, Depends how you count. (laughs) Maybe two years. Uh, and then I was 23 and there's lots of ways to tell that story, but perhaps the most succinct one is that, uh, I was too young, quote, too young to settle down (laughs) and I needed to go off and explore the world and the world of sex with other people, the world outside of just us. And I did so very thoroughly. I am, I feel like I had some years to catch up on (laughs) in many ways that what I did, when I did after David and I broke up was what maybe some people do in high school, but I'm glad I waited until I was 20, mid twenties. I think I, I think I didn't get hurt as much. I think I didn't end up in as many sketchy scenarios. I think it was more fun. It's more fun to be footloose and fancy free and quote sleep around because I think it was more fun because I was older and mostly sober. And I've also realized that a lot of how I tell my relationship story is like self-justifying in that like I only had my experience and I can give reasons why it was good and why it was even like sort of best for me kind of because I can't imagine anything else. Uh, 
And after breaking up with David, uh, I practiced being in open relationships for the next eight years, I think. I'm trying to do strange math in my head. Eight or nine years. Uh, I never committed monogamously to anybody again. And so I sometimes had like a primary main person. And, but that, uh, actually, there was brief periods of attempts at monogamy, now that I think about it. Attempts as in, like, agreed to try it. (laughs) And those lasted for anywhere from, you know, six months to almost a year. Um, But mostly I was in open relationships where I was, uh, it was understood that I might date or sleep with other people. And... I'm also really grateful for that experience. I think it came out of, partly out of that Christian upbringing of, of really needing to question even why monogamy is normal or common, I should say, and really feeling that my sexuality was, was mine to decide who I shared it with. And I was very resistant to that being like owned or stifled by anybody and so I probably dabble on some of the relationships in that time as we go through this. Maybe it's turning into a mini series. <laughs> Maybe it's turning into a big series. I don't know. Uh, and then the most significant or the longest relationship in that time was four years long. And it was with a man I'm going to call Thomas. And so Thomas and I were together for four years and it was an open relationship the whole time and he's to date the person I feel like I've bonded and and like you know had a shared life with the most and the dissolving of that is one of the most impactful um, transitions I've had and I've spoken, I've alluded to it in various past podcasts. I've talked about the grief involved in that transition. And I also noticed that how I feel about it, I've been podcasting now for a year. And how I feel about it now is different than how I felt about it last year. And yeah, grief has an amazing way of like alchemizing us if we let it, I think. And... I think that's partly why I'm ready to read you this poem. Uh, Yeah, that was the very fast overview. So, oh, let me just back up again to say one of the reasons why I want to talk about love and relationships is because I think they are one of the sources of the most magic in our life and also some of the source of the most tension and suffering and confusion. And also because... I have been greatly helped by hearing other people talk about their relationships and have often felt that there wasn't enough people talking about their like real experiences, like not just sort of like coded and nice, but like, like actually, what is it like? And so that's my goal here. I'm going to try and tell you little snippets of what it's actually like in my experience to be in a relationship. Uh, yeah. 
one of the things that's amazing in a relationship is that it's so even when I was in open relationships and dating and sleeping with several people, the which creates more dynamics of, you know, sort of the constellation of things going on and communication and who knows what and as in who knows what of what is going on and honesty and transparency and various degrees of both and betrayal for the record is still completely possible while in an open relationship uh and so is some of the most amazing uh discoveries of the depths of love I've ever had we got to do a whole other episode on what I've learned from polyamory but this is not that one this is to say that when you have a relationship with somebody the thing that you create between you like the the energy field or the connection is something that only exists between the two of you and that is what makes it so precious and so magical and also so dangerous because you're the only two people in it and I have felt at times that it would have been so helpful to have kind of like a fly on the wall to have somebody witness my relationship and be able to tell me like what the hell is going on here and like is this reasonable am I being treated well am I being mistreated who's right what's true is this crazy or even somebody to like on the beautiful side somebody to see how much I love somebody else somebody to witness the moment of beauty somebody to hear my sounds of ecstasy like sometimes I just want to be witnessed and so the the kind of immense, it's not a conundrum, the immense mystery of relating is that it's intimate. Like it's just between you and the other person. And even if somebody hears you in the next room, they're not there with you in the moment, in the chemistry, in the anger, in the hurt, in the inside joke. It's something really special that just happens between the two of you. And also, it's something that you, that I, let me see if I can change the perspective. I've learned that I am always in the relationship that I'm in. This sounds really basic, but this is so important. The first few times I fell in love like there's sort of this sense like oh my god it's like this is only with this person which is true like the the specific connection you have is only with that person but the phenomena of love the phenomena of relating is something that can and probably will happen again so there's this there's like this both are true like it's it's very specific to the two people who fall in love and the phenomena of loving and relating and communicating and sex and all these parts of intimate relating are skills that that you can learn and you can also take with you and I think that's one of the general things I've learned is that the relation so let me just review the relationships are are uniquely special and that is why it's so sad to have one end that was 
even if it wasn't always beautiful, just the, the uniqueness is over. So this poem I'm going to eventually read you called Bananas partly has that in it, that the, you know, there was a sweetness between Thomas and I that is irreplaceable. It will never happen again. And that sometimes blindsides me with sadness. Like, it just aches that I'm never going to have that again. And I take me with me wherever I go. And which means that if you think you're going to run away from yourself in the next relationship, you can't. <laughs> like, you bring yourself with you and you might quickly discover that some of the problems, like maybe half of them, were with you. Like, I bring me with me. You know, like the same thing happens again. You're like, oh my goodness, what's going on? I quote, always pick the same kind of guy. Well, it's you picking. You know, it's like, I'm the one, I'm the one repeating these scenarios. That's a liberating, humbling, and disturbing thing to realize. But God, if you, when, yeah, when I really realized that I'm in all the relationships I'm in, a lot of change becomes possible because, because I get to change my, my participation in it. And as I've changed, I've become available and not available for different kinds of relating. And this, this goes beyond just intimate or sexual relationships to other ones. Like I am in all my family relationships and which means I can change how I am in them. And that gives a lot of options that I might not have otherwise considered. <laughs> uh, and it's also good news that I am in all the relationships I'm in because it means that if one of them ends, I take me and my skill set and everything I've learned with me. So I've come to believe that a lot of relating is something we can get better at. It's something we have not learned enough about in any kind of regular education. I think it's quite lopsided and disturbing how little we're taught. Like, imagine in school if we had classes about like how to listen well, how to resolve a conflict. Like, why? Think of all the other things you learned in school. Like, why did we not learn how to listen? Why did we not learn things like how to express your feelings without accusing the other person? There's some really basic things that help a lot that we didn't get taught. If you're lucky, you might have had people model them for you. But uh, yeah, relating well is a skill that you can learn. There's definitely an element of like magic and chemistry and synchronicity, and maybe destiny. And there's a huge chunk that's like a skill set of communication, maybe sexual technique of conflict resolution, of grounding, of physical well-being. There's like ways to share space that work well. There's skills you can learn. And when you've, when I've integrated those skills, I get to take them with me to the next relationship. Like that's, that's been comforting to me. And also that I keep putting my hand on my heart. I believe that our hearts are muscles. 
and amazing organs that have physical and mystical attributes very much connected to love. And I believe that they, that hearts can, well, they do carry pain and memory. And I also believe that they can carry strength and resiliency and flexibility. And that learning how to love in one direction does help us learn how to love in all the other directions. And that love expands, expands our heart. And sometimes they, I've felt what feels like a like very physical stretching of my heart to try and encompass everyone that I love and care about. And I don't feel that deep love, it feels like it endures. It feels like it doesn't end. Uh, one of the interesting things about my love story now is that I'm, as I've, I think I've said before, I'm now back with David, my first boyfriend. And we've been back together for almost two years. And so it's like, I can feel this place in my heart where he was before and where, where he never really left and where it's expanding in this new way of connecting again. And just to conclude the sort of biography bit, uh, we, David and I are currently in a monogamous agreement and that is a new experience for me. And as in like a contrast to the eight years before that. And so I'm learning about focus and about uh, what, what comes from simplifying. And I'm not entirely sure how to talk about the present in this format. <laughs> so that's all I'm going to say about that for now. Uh, Okay, so I want to talk about endings because this banana poem is about endings. So a lot of stress can come around wondering whether to end a relationship. I have had the privilege and the complication of having several of my relationships morph and change instead of completely end. So I've had uh, like ex-boyfriends turn to friends and some of that has been um, really incredible and and really fun and then I've had some and some of those end completely and so this question of when when do you know it's time to leave uh, is probably <laughs> I feel like it's something that everybody would like the answer to. And there's some, you know, hints other people can get give you. And there's some supposedly clear formulas. There's, you know, you could like Google how to define abuse. And then if you think you fit it, you could decide to leave. And that's way comp more complicated. And um, I've come to understand abuse is very nuanced and tricky and uh, multi-layered. So the one 
little tidbit I want to give about knowing whether it's time to end a relationship is that you may be given the gift of clarity in a symbolic moment that relationships have this poetry and symbolism to them there's and this is partly this is one of the things that can cause us some miscommunication because something can mean something to you and not to your partner <laughs> and if you're not clear on what it means to you you can end up like crossing wires and hurting or loving each other in very different ways than you meant so uh, for example if somebody's like shows up late to one person that could that could mean it could have a whole thing of meaning about like what that means they care about you or don't care about you and to the other person it could like be no big deal if you don't communicate about that you will have a lot more hurt flying back and forth than you meant Uh, I remember when David and I were first dating that I said I didn't want to hold hands while we were walking like early on because to me and this this remains this was also a thing when I was in open relationships so to me holding hands walking down the street is a very it's like a symbol of being a couple it's very symbolic like Maybe even more so than a kiss. The like walking down a street holding hands is like we are a pair. So I didn't want us to do that until we actually were a pair. So we would walk with like arms completely around each other instead of just holding hands. And similarly, when I was in open relationships, one of my kind of boundaries was that I didn't want to see my main person holding hands with somebody else. Because that to me was too symbolic of them being a pair. And that was too threatening. So, so relationships are rife with symbols and you and your partner might not have the same symbology behind the things. So that might be a great thing to explore. And you might have a symbol that, that tells you that it's, it's time to enter the relationship. Somebody might do something. You might have a dream. You might have a moment where there's this symbolic gesture and you're like, yes, now I'm safe or yes, now I'm in like Yes, now she's the one, um, which I don't think there is a one. But anyways, just using colloquial phrases, the like, you could have a symbol, the moment when you know, the moment when you know it's a yes, the moment when you know you want to kiss her, the moment when you, you know you want to introduce him to your family, the moment when they just light up your life and you're like, yes, this is the person I, I want to be with. And... You may also have a symbolic moment about when it's time to end it. And I believe that these symbolic moments can be gifts because I don't think relationships are really a logical exercise. There can be lists and reasons and uh, those can be part of it. But fundamentally, I think they're a a felt emotional exercise. Like I don't want to be with somebody just because they ticked all my boxes and I don't feel anything about it. You know, like you want to, it's better to, to feel a yes and have a few boxes missing than, than to the other way around. That said, there's some important boxes that you may want to make sure are ticked. And 
there's these phenomenal things called hormones and chemicals, which will cloud your perception of reality. So having, oh yeah, this goes back to the, you're the only two people in the relationship, having other people close to you to run by your perspective with is so helpful. Like, dare to ask your best friend, what do you think of this person that I'm super stoked about? Like, dare to introduce them. That will give you, if you want to, like, save yourself, like, several years of difficulty or, you know, having children with somebody you later regret or some really big thing, I would suggest running your person by your people. As in, like, introduce them. Like, dare to introduce your person to people who are not chemically influenced by them and see what they say. Run them by your confidants, somebody older and wiser, and say, hey, what's your vibe on this person? What's your take on them? I've had people tell me their take after the fact, which is usually when people feel brave enough to tell you, and then you're like, oh gosh, that would have been nice to know. Like, you really saw that? You were able to tell that? Why did it take me so long to realize? Um... Yes, if you're brave, dare letting somebody else in to that, like to see their connection and see what they say. Okay, so you may have a symbolic moment that lets you know that it's the end. And I believe this can be a gift because relationships are not logical. They're a felt experience and symbols and metaphors speak to that same part of us that is... Yeah, emotional and symbolic and inder, in, inder, in and, and under and above our linguistic conception of the world, which I believe is where we're doing the relating from. It's not the straight words, which is why so much of the connecting from the flirting to the sex to the hurt is usually about everything that's happening around the words or the tone of voice. It's all the other stuff. And... So that said, I'm going to use some words to to read you this poem that I wrote about a moment of the end. And I'm going to read this poem twice because I believe poems are better read twice and there's a lot to digest. So here goes. This one's called Bananas. I'm trying to decide whether to ship him the bananas. Not the yellow or green kind one buys in the grocery store as a desperate substitute for a dildo. I'm trying to decide about the dried and shriveled kind. Not the little dried pale dollars or chunks they put in trail mixes in the supermarket. I hate those. What I'm talking about are the full-length dried heirloom bananas I bought from a bulk distributor. Brown and sticky and so sweet they make my jaw ache. We used to buy this same kind together. No, actually, it was his money and my time. That was the arrangement. We called it equal. I didn't yet understand about power. One of the moments I knew I was at the end. Okay, not quite the end. 
because here I am still thinking about him years later, was when I helped myself to a snack of the dried bananas from the console in his vehicle. His vehicle was brighter yellow than a banana and much more expensive. I opened the sticky Ziploc bag and slid, slid one of the delicacies from our pantry into my mouth. Seeing me with my mouth full, he said, I'd appreciate if you'd ask first. And I said, I thought these were our bananas. And he said, I packed them and I might have had a plan for them. Which is when I knew I wanted to fill my mouth with someone whose plan was to share the bananas, who had a concept of generosity that included feeding one's friends, and especially one's more than friends. Recently, I've discovered that sugar causes mood swings in me, and it turns out him and his bananas are one of the sweetest things. Trouble is, I still have a whole five-pound bag left of the ones I bought all by myself, when I was worried about surviving an apocalypse after our breakup. And now they are taking up valuable space. So I'm thinking of sending them to him in the mail, in one of those prepaid flat rate Canada Post boxes, in which you can ship anything that's not dangerous. And by dangerous, they mean bombs and batteries and aerosols. Lucky for me, they aren't worried about explosive things like two-year belated generous gestures. I'd put a note in saying, I still don't know anyone who loves these more than you. But what if, on some distant day, I'm starving on a mountain path far from home? Will I wish then that I had back all I'd given him? Or do I already? Whew, okay, gotta take a sip of water after that one. Okay, here it goes a second time. Bananas. I'm trying to decide whether to ship him the bananas. Not the yellow or green kind one buys in the grocery store as a desperate substitute for a dildo. I'm trying to decide about the dried and shriveled kind. Not the little dried pale dollars or chunks they put in trail mixes in the supermarket. I hate those. What I'm talking about are the full-length dried heirloom bananas I bought from a bulk distributor. Brown and sticky and so sweet they make my jaw ache. We used to buy this same kind together. No, actually, it was his money and my time. That was the arrangement. We called it equal. I didn't yet understand about power. One of the moments I knew I was at the end, okay, not quite the end, because here I am still thinking about him years later was when I helped myself to a snack of the dried bananas from the console in his vehicle. His vehicle was brighter yellow than a banana and much more expensive. I opened the sticky Ziploc bag and slid one of the delicacies from our pantry into my mouth. Seeing me with my mouth full, he said, I'd appreciate if you'd ask first. And I said, I thought these were our bananas. And he said, I packed them and I might have had a plan for them which is when I knew I wanted to fill my mouth with someone whose plan was to share the bananas, who had a concept of generosity that included feeding one's friends, and especially one's more than friends. 
Recently, I've discovered that sugar causes mood swings in me, and it turns out him and his bananas are one of the sweetest things. Trouble is, I still have a whole five-pound bag left of the ones I bought all by myself when I was worried about surviving an apocalypse after the breakup. And now they are taking up valuable space. So I'm thinking of sending them to him in the mail, in one of those prepaid flat-rate Canada Post boxes, in which you can ship anything that's not dangerous. And by dangerous, they mean bombs and batteries and aerosols. Lucky for me, they aren't worried about explosive things, like a two-year belated generous gestures. I'd put a note in saying, I still don't know anyone who loves these more than you. But what if, on some distant day, I'm starving on a mountain path far from home? Well, I wish then that I had back all I'd given him, or do I already? There. That's the banana's poem. And I hope that that one, maybe it made you like smile or wince or chuckle or gasp. That would be great if it did. And I hope it gave you a little bit of insight into one of the phases of of grief, which is like, it's complicated, you know? It's like, you love someone, you hate someone, you want to be generous, you got memories, you've got regrets, you got wishes, you got hopes, you got... It's like pretty good fodder for poetry. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so if I could do a tiny recap, besides telling you a little bit of my relationship history... I hope that you, one, want to listen again, if I give you some more tidbits, of things I've learned in my most intimate relationships. I also hope that you consider that the thing happening between you and the other person in an intimate relationship is really special and isn't happening anywhere else. That is part of what makes it so magical and also so dangerous. And so getting other people's perspectives when you can, uh, can be super helpful to both like share the joy and also to help mitigate what could be dangerous or, uh, damaging or abusive. And that we are in, I am in whatever relationship I am in. I take me with me in all my relationships. Therefore, changing me will change the dynamic of the relationship. And that relating is a lot of a skill set, or a lot of relating is a skill set that we can get better at. We can get better at communicating and listening and cooperating and sex and that these skill sets help us in all sorts of relationships and also from one to the next. And... I find that, uh, actually I find that hopeful because it means there's like, there's something I can improve and I'm not just destined to repeat the relationships either of my parents or the ones I've had before. It is something I can improve and I'm really interested in that. 
And so in the next episodes, I, I think I'll be on this theme for a little while. Or maybe I'll interrupt it with something else. <laughs> but thank you for listening. And I have a request, which is that if you have enjoyed this episode or any others, that you would leave me a review, particularly on iTunes. If you listen to this on iTunes, please give me five stars. If you don't want to give this five stars, I'm not entirely sure why you're still listening. <laughs> so I'm just going to assume if you made it this far, you would give it five stars. And also a written review would make a big difference to both I would feel like cheered for and I would feel more, I would know it's more likely that other people will find this podcast. And I'd be happy to hear from you directly, either on Instagram at Magic for Realists or through my website, magicforrealists.ca. And yeah, as I said at the beginning, this episode was partly inspired by one of your direct comments. So thank you for that. And I welcome those going forward. Yeah. And I wish you this week some magic in, in your most intimate relationships, whatever those look like right now, whether it's with yourself or somebody else or family and friends, that you would feel the specialness that is the connection between you and also feel your part in it. And that if you're at the wanderings of an end, that you would be given symbolic, a symbolic gift that would help you know what's going on. And so until next time, I wish you some magic in the real world. Bye for now.